We'll begin reading in 2 Kings 17 from verse 7. This is the Word of God. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods, and walked in the statutes of the heathen, whom the Lord had cast out from them from before the children of Israel, and of the kings of Israel which they had made. And the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God. And they built them high places in all their cities, from the tower of the watchman to the fence city. And they set them up images and groves in every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burnt incense in all the high places, as did the heathen whom the Lord carried away before them, and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. For they served idols, whereof the Lord had said unto them, Ye shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets and by all the seers, saying, Turn ye from your evil ways. And keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Notwithstanding, they would not hear, but hardened their necks like to the neck of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and his testimonies which he testified against them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the heathen that were round about them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. And they left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made them molten images, even two calves, and made a grove and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire and used divination and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke Him to anger. And end our reading there and turn over to Hosea chapter 13, if you will. Hosea 13. And we'll take time to read from verse 1 here. Hosea 13, verse 1. When Ephraim spake trembling, he exalted himself in Israel. But when he offended in Baal, he died. And now they sin more and more, and have made them molten images of their silver, and idols according to their own understanding, all of it the work of the craftsmen. They say of them, let the men that sacrifice kiss the calves. Therefore they shall be as the morning cloud, and as the early dew that passeth away, as the chaff that is driven with the whirlwind out of the floor, and as the smoke out of the chimney. Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me. For there is no Savior beside me. I did know thee in the wilderness, in the land of great drought. According to their pasture, so were they filled. They were filled, and their heart was exalted. Therefore have they forgotten me. Therefore I will be unto them as a lion. As a leopard by the way will I observe them. I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps, and will rend the call of their heart. And there will I devour them like a lion. The wild beasts shall tear them. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. I will be thy king. Where is any other that may save thee in all thy cities? And thy judges of whom thou saidst, give me a king and princes. 
I gave thee a king in mine anger and took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up, his sin is hid. The sorrows of a travailing woman shall come upon him. He is an unwise son, for he should not stay long in the place of the breaking forth of children. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. We end our reading there. Trust the Lord to bless this reading of His Word. Let us bow briefly and ask for His help. Our Heavenly Father, we come one last time asking for the help of the Holy Spirit in this place of worship. We need Thee, O Lord, to open up Thy Word to us, to cause it to come alive to us and to jump off the page and into our hearts, Lord. We pray that You'll help us to hide Thy Word in our hearts that we might not sin against Thee. O Lord, help us, we pray now. Fill me with Thy Spirit. Calm me and help me to trust in the Spirit of God and help us all to hear by His help. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. The text that I draw your attention to is verse 9 of Hosea 13. Verse 9. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. I wanted to take time and read those passages of Scripture to help you gain something of the the context of where Israel is at this point in their history. This nation is full of idolatry, full of wickedness, full of all manner of grievous sins which we just read of. And the passage before you in Hosea 13 was written to the nation of Israel at a time when she was in great prosperity and comfort. But as I've said, she was also involved in great sin. And Israel, despite Hosea and despite the other prophets, refused to accept the message. And their comfort and prosperity was not going to last much longer. God's hand of judgment was going to come through the hand, through the nation of Assyria, and bring about great destruction to Israel. And although God, through Assyria, was going to bring about this destruction and captivity upon Israel. The text before you, in verse 9, is declaring that the only source of Israel's destruction was themselves. And the only source of their deliverance would be God. I brought your attention to this text this morning because I want you with sincerity and with humility, to accept that apart from the help of God, you will destroy yourself by your sin. Apart from the help of God, you will destroy yourself by your sin. See, this text obviously has an application to the lost, for sure. Those who are lost in sin, who are bringing destruction upon themselves, and will face eternal destruction. But this text also has an application to believers. The temptation is for a Christian to think that once they come to faith in Christ, that they are no longer 
in danger of the destructive power of sin. It is certainly true, and let me be very clear here, it is certainly true that there will never be a second death for anyone who has been given the second birth. There will be no eternal destruction for anyone who has received eternal salvation. However, that is not to say that there is no way for a Christian to ruin themselves with sin in this life. There are many men and women that have had to live with the consequences of sin in their lives until they went to be with God in glory. And you need to look no further for proof of that than to one of the godliest men in Scripture, David. The man after God's own heart. The psalmist of Israel. He is an example of the destructive power of sin in the life of a believer. We are told in 2 Samuel chapter 10, you remember there that Nathan the prophet has come to David and has confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba and told him, Thou art the man. And this statement is made there in 2 Samuel 12 verse 10. Nathan tells David, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. The sword shall never depart from thine house. That judgment, that consequence, was the result of David's sin. The sword shall never depart from thine house. Now thankfully we know that there was reconciliation for David, as we sang in Psalm 51 this morning. But though there was the way of reconciliation, and though David was given the joy of his salvation again, there was still consequence for his sin. Thankfully, Nathan tells him in verse 13 of 2 Samuel, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. But there was temporal consequence for David. We're told in Proverbs Chapter 6, verse 32, But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. The word destroyeth there is the same word found in our text in Hosea 13.9. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, in commenting upon Psalm 19.13, which says, Keep thy servant back from, also from presumptuous sins. He says, commenting upon that verse in Psalm 19, Experienced Christian, do not boast in your experience. You will fall if you look away from Him who is able to keep you from falling. Jude verse 24. You whose love is fervent, whose faith is constant, whose hopes are bright, do not say, We will never fall, but rather cry, do not lead us into temptation. There is enough tinder in the heart of the best people to light a fire that will burn to the lowest hell unless God will quench the sparks 
as they fall. End quote. It is in the light of this reality that I want to speak to you today from this text about self-destruction and divine deliverance. Self-destruction and divine deliverance. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. The first thing I want you to see from this text is that man's destruction is entirely from himself. Man's destruction is entirely from himself. Our text makes it very clear. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. And so the first thing I want you to see here, it is self-inflicted destruction. The nature of the destruction man brings upon himself, first that it is self-inflicted destruction. God is not the author of it, though He is the executioner of it. It is self-inflicted. You see, all throughout this passage that we read in Hosea 13, the Lord has said that He is going to bring this judgment upon the nation. You see in verse 7, Therefore I will be unto them as a lion, as a leopard by the way will I observe them. I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps and will rend the call of their heart, and there will I devour them like a lion. The wild beast shall tear them. The Lord is going to bring chastisement upon this nation. He's going to bring through the nation of Assyria this judgment, this punishment. And so the... the, Reader, he comes to verse 9, and there's almost an objection that's been formed. Wait a minute. How how can you do this? We're your people. How can you do this? And he says in verse 9, Don't get it wrong. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. Israel is the one that has brought about their own destruction. In Hosea 4, verse 1, Hosea has been making this clear all throughout his prophecy. And it says in Hosea 4, verse 1, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. In verse 2 of chapter 13, He said, and now they sin more and more. He tells you they've made these molten images of silver and idols according to their own understanding and all of it the work of the craftsmen. They have destroyed themselves. The Lord is making it very clear to the reader that Israel has destroyed themselves. It is self-inflicted destruction. We see this in Israel in the text before us. We also see this, do we not, in Adam. In Adam, in Romans 5.12, we're told concerning Adam, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Because the same objection that will be brought against by the Israelites to God here in Hosea 13 is brought about to some degree by the world. Why is sin in the world? Why is there so much devastation and destruction? Why is there so much hardship and trial and turmoil and pain? By one man, sin entered into the world. 
It was not God. God is not the author of this destruction, though He is the executioner of it, because He is just and holy. We're told Ecclesiastes 7.29, Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. As I've already pointed out, we see this with David as well. This self-inflicted destruction. Not only is it self-inflicted destruction, it is spiritual destruction. It is spiritual destruction. Lest we think that this is just a physical destruction that, that comes in a very physically manifested way, there's also torment of soul. David actually lost the joy of his salvation. Though he did not lose his salvation, he lost the joy of it. And we are told in 1 Peter 5.8 to be sober, to be vigilant. For your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He is active and he is ready to devour the Lord's people. And so we read that and we think, well, it's the devil then. It's the devil who's after me. It's not going to be a product of myself. But then we're told by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He tells us there, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 24, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. That was written to people who had been taken captive by the devil, who had been ensnared by the devil. But verse 25 makes it clear that they were in need of repentance. They were in need to be turned. And it was their entrance into sin that had ensnared them by the devil. And so... It is self-inflicted destruction, it is spiritual destruction, and it is physical destruction. We would also fall into error if we thought this was only limited to a physical chastisement, or to a spiritual chastisement, rather. We see that it's physical destruction not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. We actually see God chastising His people out of love for sin. We are told in 1 Corinthians 11:29 through 30, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. So there was actually a physical chastisement that came upon the people of the God, a people of God in the New Testament as a result of sin. At the Lord's table. These are sobering realities for us. They should be. And so, it is self-inflicted destruction, it is spiritual destruction, it is physical destruction. That is the nature of the destruction man brings upon himself. Notice secondly with me here, the reason that man brings this destruction upon himself. The reason that man brings this destruction upon himself. 
And there are at least three reasons that man brings this destruction upon himself. The first is fallenness. Fallenness. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. We're told in Jeremiah 17, 9 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And as Calvin rightly said, John Calvin, he said, the human heart is a factory of idols. But the objection comes, well, after we come to Christ, are we not regenerated and and our our hearts are changed and aren't we given a, a new nature? And yes, we are. We are given a new nature. We're given new ability to overcome sin. As Paul tells us in Romans, Romans chapter 6, he tells us there, verse 11, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And so yes, there is a change. There's a change when a believer, or when a, rather when a sinner is brought to Christ. There is a change. But it doesn't do away with the struggle with sin. It doesn't do away with our temptation to fall into sin. But it does, by God's grace, give us the ability to yield ourselves unto God rather than unto sin. And so we must do, as Paul says in Galatians 5.16, to walk in the Spirit, and ye will not obey the lusts of the flesh. That is the first reason. The second reason is ignorance. Fallenness and ignorance. Man brings destruction upon himself because he has fallen but because also he is ignorant. Hosea has already told this people in this message in Hosea 4, verse 6. It says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Ignorance was a part of of this destruction that Israel had brought upon themselves. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. What what is the knowledge there referred to? Well, in the context of chapter 4, verse 1, we're already told that there is no mercy, no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. And so in the context, he's referring to the knowledge of God. This knowledge of God that they were so ignorant of at this point was resulting in their destruction. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And it's interesting that this same word knowledge is used in Psalm 19, verse 2. We're told in Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. And so we see here, this is a revealed knowledge. This word that's used in Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's a revealed knowledge. It's a revealed knowledge of God. What's even more interesting, in Proverbs chapter 1, we find this word used. 
In Proverbs 1, we're told in verse 4, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. In verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the same word that's used here. And so Hosea says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, ignorance. And why is this important? Because without this knowledge, there's no way to know what to avoid or what to pursue in this life. We need this knowledge. We need to be well acquainted with the knowledge of God that He's revealed to us in His Word so that we know what to avoid, the sins we should avoid, and the righteousness that we should pursue. Else we bring destruction upon ourselves. So fallenness, ignorance, and the third reason I submit to you is idleness. Idleness. Israel had become idle. Idleness. To illustrate this, I ask you to turn to Proverbs 24, verse 30. To illustrate this. Proverbs 24, verse 30. says in Proverbs 24, verse 30, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth and thy want as an armed man. This passage illustrates this idleness that is a part of any life that brings destruction upon itself. You see this, this picture of, of a man's home or his, his, his farm land, his, his yard, his vineyard, And it's evident as you read this passage that there's been great neglect to this vineyard. It takes time for these things, these thorns to grow over and nettles to cover the face of it and the wall to be broken down. And so, I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. It was evident because of the fruit that was gathered around this vineyard, because of the visible manifestation of this idleness, it was clear, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall poverty come to the one who does these things. And I submit to you that that, though it obviously has a physical application to the life, also has a spiritual application. The neglect of your soul The neglect of pursuing righteousness, forsaking wickedness. The neglect of pursuing truth over error. The neglect of knowing what God would have us to avoid. The sin in this world will result in devastation and a manifest destruction in the life. 
That's why we are told in Proverbs 4 verse 20 to keep our hearts with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. So man's destruction is entirely from himself. The second thing I want you to see from this text is that man's deliverance is entirely from God. Man's deliverance is entirely from God. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. I want you to see here the nature of the deliverance that is from God. The nature of the deliverance that is from God. And it is from God alone, first of all. It is from God alone. The Lord has made it very clear to Israel here that it is in me that your help is to be found. It's not to be found in yourself. It's not to be found in all the nations that are around you, which is what they were doing, looking to the hands of other nations to help them. My help is to be found in me. He makes this very clear in verse 4 of chapter 13. He says, Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, reminding them of the deliverance that they would already received from the Lord. And thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. No Savior beside me. In me is thine help, Israel. Though you have given yourself to wickedness, though you have become idle in seeking to keep yourself guarded from the heathen around you, there is still help to be found for you. It is not over. In me is thine help. He tells them in verse 6 what had happened. According to their pastures, so were they filled. They were filled and their heart was exalted. Therefore, have they forgotten me? They began to neglect the Lord and forget the Lord because they were filled with prosperity and ease. And that is the danger for us all. That when things are easy, when we're just coasting through our life, that we tend to forget our daily need for the Lord to keep us from sin and to hedge us in to His ways. The Lord makes it very clear to them, in me is thine help. I will be thy king, verse 10. Where is any other that may save thee in all thy cities? Whom else do you have around you? There's no one else but me. So it is from God alone. Isaiah 43, 11, I, even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Psalm 60, 11, verse, verse 11 through 12, Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. Through God we shall do valiantly, for He it is that shall tread down our enemies. It is from God alone, this deliverance. And you and I know that not only is it from God alone, but it is specifically through Christ alone. It is through Christ alone when we are first regenerated and we are born again into the family of God. It is through Christ then, but it never ceases to be through Christ. 
It is always and only through Christ, throughout the entirety of the Christian life. Our tendency is to think that somehow after we come to faith in Christ, that that now we're going to do it on our own. We're going to keep ourselves from sin. We're going to gird ourselves with the truth. And we do that, but we do it understanding that it is only as the Spirit of God enables us to do it through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why the Apostle Paul tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Doing what as we run this race? Doing what as we seek to lay aside this sin which so easily besets us? Doing what, Paul? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so it is from God alone, through Christ alone, this deliverance that we daily need. In me is thine help. As the nature of this deliverance that is from God, but also the reason that God brings this deliverance. Why would the Lord even offer this deliverance? Israel has destroyed themselves. Man in his, in his folly, even believers in their folly, bring, allow sin into their lives that breeds destruction. Why does God offer to deliver us over and over and over again? I suggest to you again at least three reasons. The first is that it glorifies Him. It glorifies Him. That is the chief reason that God brings this deliverance because it glorifies Him. It glorifies Him to say to Israel, you've destroyed yourself, but in Me is Thine help. We are even told in Ephesians 1.5, that God having predestinated us unto the, ado- unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. And so it glorifies Him to give us this deliverance. To give us no other way to be delivered but in Him alone. So it glorifies Him and it pleases Him. It pleases Him. To deliver us. It pleases Him as our Heavenly Father. Though He sees His children entering into paths of folly, though He sees us falling into sin, He does not turn us away. He does not cast us out. But it pleases Him to bring us back to Himself. It pleases Him. And the last reason, it glorifies Him and it pleases Him, but He does this because He loves His people. He loves His people. Why else would He say to Israel here, in me is thine help? Why would He extend this offer of help to any of us this morning except that He loves us? And Hosea knew much of that. 
For it was revealed to him in Hosea 3.1, Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. According to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel. Truly, it is as Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 31.3, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. He draws us in salvation in the beginning, and He continually draws us as we live our lives. And so what kind of response does this, rete- this text require of us? What are we to do in light of this text? How should we respond to such a text? I suggest to you briefly five actions that this text requires of us. Examination, recognition, ownership, repentance, and reliance. Examination, recognition, Ownership, repentance, and reliance. The first of these, examination. In light of a text like this, because when you read it, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, they ask themselves, well, well, what have we done to destroy ourselves? What is in our lives that is causing this destruction? And so there has to be an examination that each of us examine our lives. And we don't do this just out of nowhere, but it's a Bible-based examination of your life. A Bible-based examination of your life. And in looking at your life through the lens of Scripture and asking God to reveal to you what in my life is going to lead me astray or going to cause destruction in my life. And it's not to be a, a morbid thing. It's not to be a pharisaical thing. We, we don't want to look at our lives morbidly just trying to find any little sin, but we do it as we read the Word of God and as we study the Scriptures, as we reflect upon what we read, we ask the Lord to reveal to us the sin in our lives. Not only a Bible-based examination, but the recognition must be an honest recognition of sin in our life. Because our temptation is that as you would examine your life, to excuse things in your life. If your heart is like mine, and I believe it is, because of what Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, our temptation is to excuse the sin in our life. And so we need an honest recognition of sin in our life. Israel, as they were told that they had destroyed themselves should have examined and recognized their sin. And then thirdly, they should have humbly owned their sin. There's a Bible-based examination, an honest recognition, and a humble ownership of the sin in your life. Because the temptation would be again, once you've examined, once you've recognized, to then find excuses and to blame others for the sin in your life. 
Is that not what we find in the very beginning of the pages of Scripture from Adam? The woman whom thou gavest to me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree and I did eat. That's not what we should do. We have to humbly own the sin in our lives. And then we have to truly repent towards God. Examination, recognition, ownership, and true repentance towards God. As Israel was told they destroyed themselves, the response should have been true repentance towards God. As, he, as Hosea told them in Hosea 6.1, Come and let us return unto the Lord. For He hath torn, and He will heal us. He hath smitten, and He will bind us up. And Hosea told them in chapter 14, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God. For thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. How are we going to do that? How do we express this true repentance towards God? He tells us, take with you words in Hosea 14.2. Take with you words and turn to the Lord and say unto Him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. Take with you words in true repentance towards God. And finally, reliance. True reliance upon God for His help. You could seek to do all these things in the flesh. You could seek to examine your life and recognize your sin and own your sin and repent of your sin. You could do that all in the flesh. And it would avail to no profit. It is true reliance upon God for His help that will make the difference. But in me is thine help. We must pray what our Lord taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I close with the words of Charles Spurgeon again. He says, It is a solemn thing to find the Apostle Paul warning Christians against the most abhorrent sins. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness which is idolatry. Colossians 3.5 He continues, What? Do saints need to be warned against such sins as these? Yes, they do. The whitest robes, unless their purity is preserved by divine grace, will be defiled by the blackest spots. There's a solemn message today that I trust the Lord will use in your life and in mine. Let us pray the Lord would daily deliver us all from the destructive power of sin. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help.
Our Heavenly Father, we do come to Thee confessing that we are, we are helpless, Lord. And we cast ourselves at Thy feet. We, we ask, O oh Lord, for forgiveness for any sin, Lord. Even sin that we in our drunken stupor cannot see. And pray that You, O Lord, would grant us the spiritual vision we need to see our sin and confess it before You. And Lord, we cast ourselves at Your mercy for Your deliverance. Change our hearts more and more and conform us more and more unto our Lord Jesus Christ and help us to walk in sincerity and in truth and in righteousness and in the paths of the godly. Hear our prayers, Lord. And continue with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.